podcast about anything and everything weather science earth science astronomy today and a whole lot more i am your host and the creator of the weather jazz podcast andre bernier and i'm the senior meteorologist on staff with wjw television in cleveland ohio this is episode number 329 for wednesday May 18, 2022. And coming up in just a little bit, we will start digging into the world of our solar system, moving on to the eighth planet of our nine. And yes, I said nine. I am still an ardent adherent to the fact that Pluto is, in fact, a planet. It is not a subplanet, it's a planet. Just ask my son Noah who at the time when they declassified it uh, was absolutely incensed <laughs> that that would take place. So in our family, in our household, if you come into our house and we discuss Pluto, you better be ready to call Pluto a planet. But that's not where we're going today. Today, we are heading off to Neptune, but that coming up in just a little bit. Well, right now, I want to talk about the transition that the Ohio Valley will be entering in soon. You see, a warm front is pushing through the state right now. And that means that right now it's still cool-ish. Woke up to temperatures that started in the 40s. We had a beautiful, beautiful sunrise because the cirrus clouds were coming in at just the right time. And I kind of thought that would be the case. However, those clouds have thickened up really fast and will start producing a few scattered showers going into this Wednesday. Now, temperatures are still on the cool-ish side. We're in the 50s, even some low 60s, but that's about as high as they will go today with the cloud cover and with the rain showers. But once that warm front busts through, we're going to see quite a jump in the temperature beginning tomorrow, Thursday, A lot of the Ohio Valley will jump well into the 70s, mid to upper 70s. A few places, perhaps in the southern part of our viewing area in northeast Ohio, might snuggle close to 80. But the best is yet to come for those of you that love summer. That's because on Friday, with enough sunshine, it looks like the upper air temperatures may support Temperatures tickling 90 in some areas on Friday. So that's something to watch. 
Now, given that, I thought this would be a good time to look at the first 90-degree days since 2001. And the very earliest that I can find in the last 20 or so years is May 17th. And that's really just a few years ago. In 2017, on May 17th, we hit 90 degrees. How many 90-degree days did we see that summer? Well, it was above normal, 19. In fact, from 2016 through 2020, we saw above normal 90-degree days. And uh, starting in 2016, we had 29 days, then 19, then 22, then 20, then 16. Last year, 2021, we did not see our 90-degree day, the first one, until June 28. And that is not quite the latest, but it certainly is one of the later dates. And sure enough, we only saw seven 90-degree days. And the average right now is 13, at least for the 20-year period from 2000 to the current 2022. So 13 is the base, and uh, we'll see where we end up, and we'll see if we get that first 90-degree day in the month of May. That might be telling. Okay, so when was the latest 90-degree day in the last 20 or so years. And I'm scanning that list right now, and I see one that waited until July, and that was 2006. And in that year, 2006, we hit our first 90-degree day on July 16. That's really late. And so you would figure that we would see a below normal number of days at 90. And, well, that's a pretty good assumption. And we did. That year, we saw six. However, in the year 2000, we saw no 90-degree days at all. And in 2004, we only saw one. So we'll see what we end up with this year as we head into the summer of 20. 22. The first 90 lurking could be Friday. We'll revisit that possibility on Friday, open line Friday, right here on Weather Jazz. All right, when we come back, we are going to visit the eighth planet in the solar system, Neptune. It's a good one. Don't go away. Okay, we are back and it's time to dig into the world better known as Neptune. It's the eighth planet in our solar system. Some say it's the farthest known planet in the solar system. But again, we already covered that. I am of the camp that Pluto is still a planet. So when we visit Pluto next week, the way we're going with the, our current sequence of affairs it will be yet another planet that we visit. But let's stick with Neptune. It's number eight. It is the fourth largest planet by diameter and the third most massive planet in our solar system. By the way, interesting, it is 17 times the mass of Earth. That's huge. That ratio is quite impressive. Now, it's comprised mostly of gases and liquids and like Uranus, it has no well-defined solid surface. The planet orbits the sun once every 
164 years. So with only very few exceptions, those being those biblical characters that lived lives in the hundreds of years, virtually everyone alive today will never see Neptune make a complete orbit around the sun. Now, as we discovered on Monday, we talked about Neptune being right next to the planet Jupiter in our eastern sky in the morning, but it's not visible to the unaided eye. You need something to bring it into resolution, a great pair of binoculars or a telescope. So the average magnitude is about 7.7, which varies and fluctuates a little bit with the seasons, its seasons. So you may think, okay, how was Neptune discovered or how was it postulated that it was there? Now, it was initially found because of a mathematical prediction rather than by empirical observation, which would cover virtually all of the planets that we've looked at thus far. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, unexpected changes to the orbit of Uranus led Alexis Bouvard to hypothesize that its orbit was subsequent to a gravitational perturbation. And in other words, the orbit of Uranus had a bit of a hiccup, an unexpected hiccup, which should not have been there unless, of course, something was disrupting its orbit. And sure enough, Neptune was observed with a telescope on the 23rd of September in 1846 by Johann Galley, within about a degree of the position predicted by Le Verrier, who noticed that perturbation. And in addition to that, its largest moon, uh, Triton, was discovered shortly thereafter, though none of the planet's remaining 13 known moons were located telescopically until about the 20th century. Our only probe to visit Neptune was Voyager 2, and it flew by the planet on the 25th of August in 1989, and I was only one year into my contract here at WJW Fox 8. I was a rather young 30-year-old at the time, which puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? Well, Neptune's atmosphere, just in case you're wondering, is composed primarily of hydrogen and helium, along with a few traces of hydrocarbons, possibly nitrogen, though it does contain some ices, and they would include water ice, ammonia ice, and methane ice, or solids of those gases, because it's very, very cold. It's one of the coldest planets in our solar system, and that makes sense because it is so far away from the sun. Well, in contrast to the hazy, relatively featureless atmosphere of Uranus, Neptune's atmosphere does have some active and visible weather patterns. For example, Voyager 2, during its flyby in 1989, indicated that the planet's southern hemisphere had something that was reminiscent of the great red spot on Jupiter, except that it wasn't red, it was dark. So it was dubbed the great dark spot of Neptune. Now, in addition to the wind speeds indicated by Voyager, which are exceedingly high, the overall wind pattern on Neptune of its atmosphere is very, very strong. Some of the strongest winds in our solar system. 
The recorded wind speeds, according to the probe Voyager 2, 1,300 miles per hour. Uh, That would certainly cause a very bad hair day if you were to visit Neptune. Now, another feature which was discovered by Voyager was the fact that Neptune does have a faint ring system. It's a bit fragmented. They're really more arcs than anything else. And it was discovered in initially in 1984 before Voyager actually arrived there. It was then confirmed by, by Voyager. And because of its composition, it actually has a reddish tint to it. Very, very tough to discern. And of course, only discerned after Voyager's flyby to indicate the intricacies and the very faint aspect of the fragmented rings, really more arcs than anything else. Neptune is really more of a giant slush ball than anything else. It doesn't have a surface, which we would consider a hard surface. And if you go deep enough into the core of Neptune, you're going to find a composition of mostly iron, nickel, and silicates with an interior model giving a mass of 1.2 times that of Earth. And also the pressure is interesting, according to what was able to be derived from the Voyager 2 flyby. The pressure at the center twice as high as the center of Earth. And the temperature could be as high as 5,400 degrees Kelvin. And obviously the temperature at the uh, core of Neptune is not going to derive any of its heat from the sun. It's simply too far away. The surface of Neptune, very, very cold. It's one of the coldest surfaces out there at just a handful of degrees above Kelvin. I think it's somewhere around 30 or 40 Kelvin above absolute zero. There's not much heat on the surface. It's all basically pressure-induced at the center of Neptune. Now, as I mentioned before, in terms of climate, Neptune's weather is actually characterized by extremely dynamic storm systems with those wind speeds exceeding 1,000 miles per hour. And now here's something interesting. The vast majority of the winds on Neptune move in a direction opposite of the planet's rotation. That's a fascinating fact. And during Voyager 2's flyby in the late 1980s, almost 1990, it actually picked up some high-altitude clouds on the Neptune sphere. And those were observed when they actually casted shadows on the opaque cloud deck below. So there's a bit of a three-dimensionality that was picked up when Voyager 2 did a flyby. And what I'm going to do is add a picture on weatherjazz.com on the show notes, episode number 329. And you will see that picture that Voyager 2 snapped of a band of high clouds, and you'll see it casting a shadow on the lower cloud deck. Remember how distant Neptune is from the sun. So obviously it's a much dimmer world yet, The sun, even at that distance, was able to cast shadows from some high clouds in Neptune's atmosphere to the lower deck. A few more interesting facts about Neptune as we wrap things up. The axial tilt of Neptune, 
Well, check this out. 28.32 degrees. That's really not too far from our tilt here on the Earth, which is 23 degrees. And Mars has a tilt of 25 degrees. So Neptune joins Mars and Earth in terms of its tilt as being very, very similar. So the result means that, especially given the fact that it has a long orbital period, well over 100 years, the long orbital period means that Neptune's seasons last about 40 Earth years. So spring, Neptune's spring in the Northern Hemisphere will be about 40 years long, not 90 days. And we'll wrap things up by talking about Neptune's moons. Up until the Voyager flyby, it was thought that Neptune only had one moon, or at least one moon that was visible. And obviously, scientists fully anticipated discovering some smaller moons, and that's exactly what they found. Neptune, as far as we know, has 14 known moons. Triton is the largest ne- Neptunian moon, comprising more than 99.5% of the mass in orbit around Neptune. So in other words, all of the other moons combined don't even add up to 1% of the total mass that is orbiting Neptune. So the biggest one is, in fact, Triton. And as I mentioned before, we've known about Triton for quite some time. It was actually discovered by a gentleman whose name was William Lassell, And Triton was discovered only 17 days after the discovery of Neptune itself visually. I'm not going to talk much about the other moons because they are so small. But Triton does have an interesting aspect to it. That's the big one. Triton actually has what we call a retrograde orbit. Indicating that it was probably captured rather than forming in place. And it was probably once a dwarf planet in the Kuiper Belt. And that Kuiper Belt is just beyond Pluto. We'll talk more about the Kuiper Belt in a future episode of Weather Jazz as a part of our study of the solar system. And that was discovered, again, relatively recently as a result of some of the probes that went beyond Neptune and Pluto. Well, I certainly hope you have been enjoying this Wednesday series on our solar system. We still have a little ways to go. Of course, we have not ignored the sun or the earth. We're going to come back to those and maybe give them both a couple of episodes, since even doing that would only be scratching the surface of what we know about each. Uh, Naturally, the farther we get away from earth and the solar system, the less and less we know, and we have to do a lot of speculation based on probes that went out there. And of course, the probes really discovered a lot more than what we could ever do using our eyes and telescopes. That's what makes this such a fascinating study. Hope you agree too. What's next? It's Pluto next Wednesday. You don't want to miss it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you know an astronomer in your family or in your sphere of friends, and they don't know about weather jazz and what we're doing on Wednesdays, make sure you tell them about it so that we can increase the audience size, now well over 75,000. It's great to have you on board. Let folks know about it. 
and uh, we'll continue to explore not only in the solar system, not only in astronomy, but science, earth science. And periodically, we even cover topics that just go outside all of that just because they are interesting. If you have a question or a topic suggestion, I'm waiting for your email or your voicemail. You can reach me, weatherjazz at yahoo.com. That's my email address. And also the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. And that's 234-525-5888. Listen to the prompts, leave your message. And I will personally be listening to every message or reading it if you're going to be doing that via email. Well, sometimes Fridays can be really quirky. Sometimes it can be straightforward. Of course, we do anticipate a really toasty Friday. We'll take a look at that on Friday when we release that episode. But other than that, we'll probably not know until we get to Friday what we're going to do. It's uh, it's that quirky at times. Whatever happens to come up and tickle my fancy and hopefully it'll tickle yours too. So make sure you join us on Friday, Open Live Friday, right here in Weather Jazz. We'll catch you then. Weather and science across the globe. Jazz